We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. This, this A Call to Die series is a series that has been rocking my world. Hopefully it has been challenging you as well. I've heard uh, testimonies of how God is just using this series in uh, your life. And so uh, this morning I'm really excited to continue this as we discover what it means to, to follow Jesus with reckless abandon, to, to radically be obedient to Him. And, and really this week is, I'm excited because it's kind of the, the second part of what we started last week. Uh, in Matthew 10, when we talked about suffering and persecution, hopefully today, as we uh, look at the fear of a disciple and really address the fear that comes with following Jesus, that we'll find great hope in him. And so uh, I'm fired up, get you to turn to Matthew 10. We're going to start reading in verse 26. If you're there, say, I got it. This is what Jesus says. He says, so have no fear of them for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So in these verses of Scripture, what you find in the midst of Jesus talking about uh, suffering and persecution, you find in this little section here, there are, there are three times that Jesus gives us one command. And that command is very simple. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. Don't, don't be afraid of them. And, and he kind of calls us in this, this command, in the imperative, to not be afraid. Now, I don't know about you, but anytime I'm told not to do something, I immediately start doing the thing that you're telling me not to do, right? Like when someone says, hey, hey, don't be alarmed, but, right, what are you immediately going to do in that moment? Like, hello, I'm alarmed now because you told me not to be alarmed, which tells me there's a reason to be alarmed, and you're trying to diffuse that alarmed feeling that I'm going to have by telling me not to be alarmed. Thanks a lot, right? Next time, just tell me what you're going to tell me, and I'll choose whether I want to be alarmed by that. Is that too much right there? So, so you, you get told, don't feel something, you immediately want to impulsively feel that. And when it comes to fear, uh, there, there are really two types of fear. There, there's rational fear, and then there's irrational fear. And you know what I'm talking about when I talk about irrational fear. So like uh, one of my children who will not be named this morning, um, she, she a few years ago had a fear of sharks, like, like an irrational fear of sharks, like, like literally paranoid, like panic attack over, over sharks. And some of you are like, man, I, every time I go to the ocean, the problem was it, what didn't happen to her at the ocean, it happened here in East Texas. Like, like she would be in her room at night, get up and come into our room and like, I'm just scared. I'm like, what are you scared of? I'm scared of sharks. <laughs> like try answering that one at 1230 in the morning, right? 
Like, how do you even, like, I just look at her, I'm like, listen, if a shark eats you, it's the Lord's will, I promise you. It's... <laughs> now listen, I know you probably think that's just like, it's not good parenting, but you're in East Texas for crying out loud. If you get eaten by a shark in your bedroom at 1230 at night in East Texas, it was your time to go, hello, right? <laughs> we're just going to, we're going to just acknowledge this is an irrational fear, right? Um, but then there's rational fear. And what Jesus is dealing with in this passage is a rational fear. It's rational fear. It's a fear that we should have. Jesus tells his disciples, do not be afraid or have no fear three times because of what he has said previously before he gets to those verses. And what we discovered last week is that Jesus explains to us that following him will not be easy. That there will be times as we follow him that we will be hated, we will be despised, we will be rejected, mistreated. Many believers, not all, but many believers may face physical harm and even death for following Jesus. And here's the reality. The closer you walk with Jesus, the more you look like Christ, the, the, the more you're going to be hated, despised, and rejected by the unbelieving world. And Jesus is very open about this, and he's very blunt about this. And because of that, Jesus says to us, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why? Because you have reason to be afraid. This is what Jesus goes on to say in Matthew chapter 24, dealing with this issue of fear. This is why we've got to deal with it. Verse 20, or chapter 24, verse 9, Jesus says this. He says, they, talking about the unbelieving world, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. In other words, things are going to get really tough. Things are going to get difficult. Suffering might be involved with following me. He says, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So you'll be hated, despised, potentially die, all because you belong to me. This is something that's going to happen. Now notice what Jesus says here uh, is, is the response if we're not careful, if we don't guard our heart from fear. Look what he says in verse 10. He says, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Jesus says, when the heat rises and when following me begins to cost you, that there is going to be fear that sets in your heart. And there are going to be many professing Christians that when their faith begins to cost them and when suffering begins to increase, that they're going to bail. They're going to abandon the faith. They're going to turn away from what they've been holding to. And they're going to say, following me is not worth it. And some of them are going to hate you and despise you. And they're going to become your enemies because they weren't willing to stay the course. And Jesus says, this is going to be the response, so Jesus addresses this issue of fear because here's what he knows about the human heart. We have a, a fight or flight mentality. That we are either going to stand our ground and stay faithful and we're going to face our fear and say, you know what, following Jesus is worth it. I know there's a cost, but I am standing firm and I'm going to continue to fight and continue to pursue and I'm going to be who he's called me to be. Others are going to flight. They're going to leave. They're going to abandon. And so Jesus knows, listen, we've got to address the issue of fear. And here's the thing that I would say to you about fear this morning. Listen, fear is a part of the journey. I know that some of you over the last couple of weeks, as we've talked about this, this, this genuine pursuit of Jesus, of what the cost that's involved and what it means to abandon everything to follow him. I know some of you, you may not admit this out loud, but there's been this unsettledness in your heart of like, man, I don't know that I'm all in with this. Like there's some fear of like, man, really, that Jesus is, is going to lead me down paths. He's going to direct me toward things that, that uh, I, you know, I, I don't know that I can handle. I don't know that I'm going to be able to endure that. And so there's this unsettledness. And here's the thing that I want you to know. Listen, fear is a part of the journey. It's normal for you to be afraid. Jesus is not rebuking the disciples for fear. 
He is just going to give them reasons why they don't have to be afraid. But fear is something we're going to face. This is what John Piper says about it. John Piper talks about the, 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 how common it is for believers to experience fear, especially as we follow Jesus. This, this is what Piper says. He says, you never get beyond fear. You never get beyond fear. You always have to overcome fear. Now, here, here's the point that he's making, that, that as you pursue Jesus, the more faithful you become in following Jesus, the, the greater the stakes are, the greater the possibilities of suffering is. So the, the more you become faithful at following Jesus, there's going to be perpetual fear that, that bombards our life, that, that enters into the equation. Because Jesus is going to stretch us, he's going to drive us out of our safety net, out of our comfort zone, lead us down paths we wouldn't normally choose in and of ourselves. And so what John and Piper is saying is, is that, listen, fear is a part of the journey. You, you, you don't overcome or you don't ever come to the place where you get beyond fear. You've got to overcome it. In other words, let me put it like this. Courage is not the absence of fear. Some people think, man, I just wish I had more courage because I'm afraid. No, no, no. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the willingness or the ability to stay faithful to God even when you're afraid. Courage is not, is not I don't, I'm not afraid. Courage is I'm afraid, but I'm still going to be obedient. And this is what Piper is getting at. He says, you never get beyond fear. You always have to overcome fear. And this is what he goes on to say. He says, because the devil will deploy every weapon he has when you are speaking and sharing the gospel with non-believers. And one of the greatest weapons... Uh, and, and one of his greatest weapons is fear in order to strip you of courage. So, so fear is going to set in. And there was a, a story he told by, uh, about a man by the name of Ken Curry. Ken is a, a minister to college students, and he has a college ministry on one of the most secular campuses uh, in the nation. And because of this, there's a lot of hostility and a lot of anger and things that are directed toward Ken in his ministry, and, and even though this guy is a faithful evangelist, God is using him in a great way, here's one of the things that Ken says about what he's doing, and, and for 20-something years he's been doing this ministry, and this is his statement about fear. He says, there is never, never, never a day when I am not anxious about doing what God's called me to do. Never a day goes by where I don't feel, feel anxious or fearful of what God's calling me to do. And so as believers, here's what we've got to do. We've got to face the fear. And this is why Jesus says, hey, fear not. And here's what I love about Jesus. I love that fact that Jesus doesn't give us just a command, but he, then he gives us a reason we can obey that command. He says, fear not three times. And then every time he says, fear not, he's going to give us a reason why we don't have to fear. And so I want you to write these things down. As we think about pursuing Christ, as we, we want to be more faithful and knowing that it may cost us, there are three things that Jesus says to us about why we do not have to let fear paralyze us, but rather we can have courage in the midst of our fear. The first is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. We don't have to fear because of the vindication of Jesus. The vindication of Jesus. Look what he says in verse 26. Don't miss this. He says, so have no fear of them. That's the first command not to be afraid. So have no fear of them for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. And so what Jesus is simply saying in this moment, because you read this and you're like, I don't quite understand what he's saying, hidden and uncovered and, and something that's going to be unknown and now revealed. What is he talking about here? Jesus is simply reminding us that there is a day when everything will be made right once and for all. 
That there is a day coming that even though the unbelieving world has rejected Jesus and who we've claimed him to be and is in opposition to who Jesus is and what we believe as followers of Jesus and, and to the unbelieving world, the truth that we hold is, is kind of covered and it's, it's, it's veiled and it can't be clearly seen. And, and sometimes because of that, the world treats believers like we're crazy. Like, you, you live for who and what, and why in the world would you sell out for this man named Jesus? I mean, he's just a historical figure, and the world doesn't quite get it. But Jesus is saying to them, there's going to come a day when everything that is, that is covered to the world, that they can't see the clarity of who I am, there's a day coming when everything's going to be revealed, and they're going to see clearly who I am. There is a day coming when what is veiled to them will be made known openly and publicly. You see, this is good news for us. This is referring to the vindication that's ours in Jesus, that even though we may be ridiculed, mistreated, misrepresented, and even harmed because we follow Jesus, because the world doesn't get it, there's going to be a day when the world will get it. When Christ returns, they will see Him for who He is. See, listen, here's the thing. In, in our culture, one of the things that we're going to face, and it's going to be more and more increasing for us, especially here in the United States, uh, we hold as believers to what I call or what many people refer to as the exclusivity of Jesus. Here's what that simply means. We as believers believe that Jesus is the only hope of the world. We believe he's the hope of the world and he's the only hope of the world. It is only through his death, burial, and resurrection that we can be forgiven of our sin, reconciled to God, and have eternal life in heaven forever. That's the only way that a humanity can be made right with, with our creator. And so listen, here's what that means for us by default. We believe in the exclusivity of Jesus. And here's the implication. Every other religion on the planet is false. And we hold this fundamentally. And even in this room, there are some of you, and I, you probably feel it, like, man, that's kind of a bold statement. You're telling me that even those who are sincere and really believe what they, what they hold as, as religious as they are, that they're wrong, and at the end, they're, they're not going to experience eternity. That's exactly what I'm saying. I mean, fundamentally, this is what we hold to as followers of Jesus. And we're living in a world that because that is a core belief for us that there is this idea that Christians are the problem with society, that we're intolerant, that we are a nuisance, that we need to be more accepting of other people, that you can't truly love people if you believe that your faith is the only faith. And what we would say is we really can't love people unless we declare that our faith is the only faith. And listen, we are going to be mistreated and considered outcasts, and, but there's coming a day Listen to me. This is the point Jesus is making. There's coming a day when all that is wrong will be made right. And the world will see King Jesus for who he is, and that is the triumphant king who defeated death, hell, and the grave. And everyone will know and everyone will, will acknowledge that, that we might have looked crazy, we might have been on the fringe of society, but everyone will know on that day that we followed what was right and what was real and what was truthful. And Jesus will be acknowledged as King of kings and Lord of lords. This is what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, So that if the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know what that means? Listen, church, this is why we can stand and not fear because the vindication is coming. Do you know that? Listen, Stalin, Osama bin Laden, 
Stephen Hawking's, your neighbor down the street that's opposed to Christianity, you know, the family members that ridicule you because you're a follower of Jesus, those people at your workplace that think you are a moron because you've yielded your life to this man named Jesus and you're devoted to him. Listen, there's coming a day when every single one of them will bow a knee and they will declare that Jesus Christ is king to the glory of God. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess. This means for us that we can live by faith. We can walk fearlessly with with courage saying, listen, I know that things might come against me, but there's going to be a day when I will be vindicated. So I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to fight for myself. I can just be faithful to what Jesus has called me to do, which is the point Jesus makes. Look what he says in verse 27. This is the application. He says, so what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetop. Jesus is doing something here, by the way. He's, um, rabbinical practice in this particular day is that the, the, the disciples of a rabbi would sit maybe at night with him in, a, in their home and, and he would teach them things in the quietness of the night. And that teaching was to be what they teach out in the day. And then there were times where there would be in, in situations where questions would be asked and, and uh, the disciple would have to answer the question in front of the crowds and the rabbi would whisper in the ear of the disciple the answer he should give. And then that disciple had the responsibility to say what was whispered in his ear. Jesus is using this and he's, he's showing us the intimate relationship that we have with him and the boldness that is needed for us to be faithful. And what Jesus is simply saying to believers, he says, listen, there's a day coming when when I will vindicate and the world may reject your message now, but I want you to be faithful to the end because in the end they will know. So he says, listen, so what those, those things that I whisper in your heart and the quietness of night as you read my word and as you study and my voice speaks to you and my spirit leads you, those things that I whisper in your ear through my word, I want you to let the world know about. In fact, he says, stand on the housetop and proclaim it for all to hear. In this particular day, if you wanted to get a word, the word out in the community, you didn't have a PA system and a microphone. You got on the roof ha- top of your home and you said, hey, I've got an announcement. And you gather everybody in and now you're in a place where everybody could hear you. And Jesus is saying, in light of the vindication that is coming, in light of the fact that everything that is hidden will be revealed, everything that is covered will be made known, the things that I speak to you in the dark, you say in the light. The things that I whisper in, your, in the ear, you declare to the world and let them know who I am and the truth that I've revealed to you. We don't have to be afraid. We can be faithful to the end. It's just something about knowing the ending, right? When we know how things are going down. A couple weeks ago, my son and I watched a football game together, and, and uh, I had to go cut the grass, so I pushed pause in the football game and went and finished uh, yard work. And uh, when I came back, I turned the game on, and Noah was grinning because he'd been following the game on Bleacher Report, and he's like, I know the, I know the outcome of the game. And uh, I'm like, good for you. Keep your mouth shut. And, uh, and so uh, I watched the game, and I'm, I'm sitting here, and I'm nervous. You know, every time, you know, the op- opposing team did something, I was kind of frustrated. Anytime we did something good, I was celebrating. And he just stayed steady Eddie over here, calm as can be. And, like, whenever we did something stupid, he was like, it's going to be, you know, he tried to keep it to himself. And ultimately, uh, my team won, and, uh, and, and, but the, the, whole, the experience was different for me and for Noah. Here's why. Like, he knew the outcome. So as the opposing team would do things that would cost us, he's like, at the end of the day, we're going to be vindicated. At the end of the day, it's all going to be okay. He didn't have to get up in arms or get worked up. He could just sit there and enjoy the game because he knew how the game was going to end. So I'm over here frantic because I didn't know the ending. Here's the reality for us. There is a day of vindication coming. And in light of the fact 
that no matter what the enemy does today, no matter what he causes in our life, no matter what challenges we face, we can live and not be afraid. Why? Because we know how the game ends. We know that Christ is victorious and we will be victorious with him. Here's number two. So the first is we don't have to be afraid because of the vindication of Jesus. The second is because of the limitation of the enemy. The limitation of the enemy. Uh, Look what he says in verse 28. He says, Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and the body in hell. So Jesus says there's, there's, there's a fear that we should have and a fear that we shouldn't have. He's simply informing us that the enemy is limited. Now, I was all week kind of wrestling with how do I unpack this and explain what Jesus is talking about, and I read something uh, by John MacArthur, and I thought, I can't say it any better than John MacArthur, so let me just read to you how John MacArthur explains this verse and the limitation of the enemy. Listen to what he says. He says, Jesus' point here is that the only fear a believer should have is of him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, and only God can do that. In the last days, Satan himself will be cast into hell, which is the Lord's domain, not Satan's. In, in other words, and don't miss this. In other words, what he's saying is, is that there's only one person who can throw both the body and the soul into hell, and that is God. And one day, Satan will be thrown into the great pit. And by the way, hell doesn't belong to Satan. It belongs to God. So we have this misconception that the, the, the enemy's territory is hell and he's just down there scheming going, I want to bring people down here where I am. No, 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 no. His domain right now is this present day and this present age. Hell is God's domain created for him and one day he will be put in his place. We don't have to live in fear. So rather, here, here's the application. He says, but this fear, this fear of God, the one who has control over both body and soul, he says, But this fear is not that of terror or fright, but of reverential awe and honor. It is not that a believer is in danger of having his soul and body cast into hell because his eternal destiny is heaven. God's ability to destroy both the soul and the body in hell is mentioned here only to contrast his, God's, unlimited and permanent power with Satan's limited and temporary power. In other words, there is no ability that the enemy has to do anything that affects our eternity. That he is limited only to the here and now. This is why last week I told you the story of of Polycarp, this great martyr, this great man of the faith, a disciple of John the Baptist. When he was told to deny Jesus, he refused to, and they began to threaten him. And eventually, if you remember the story, they threatened, hey, we're going to burn you alive. We're going to burn you at the stake. Remember what we said Polycarp's response is? Let me read it to you. I love this. This makes me laugh every time. He says, You threaten me with fire which burns for a little while and is soon extinguished. You do not know of the coming fire of judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. What are you waiting for? Do what you wish. In other words, what is Polycarp saying? You have limited power. I'm not going to fear the one who can kill the body but can't touch the soul, but rather I will stand in the fire and I will give my life up. But why? Because I have surrendered myself to the one who has the authority of both the body and the soul. And I will stand and I will die because I know you can't touch my eternity. Listen to me, believer. This is the point Jesus is making. The worst the enemy can do, get check this out, the worst the enemy can do is kill you. Some of you are like, not helpful. 
The worst enemy can do is kill you. He can, he can harm our body and, 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 and put us to death. That's all the enemy can do. And here is the great news for followers of Jesus. We serve the one that defeated death, hell, and the grave. So the worst the enemy can do is put us in the grave that Jesus resurrects us from. And by the way, Paul would say it like this, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So you kill this body, you can't touch my soul because the moment this body dies, I am forever with him. I don't have to fear the enemy. I can live faithfully saying, listen, the worst you can do is take my life. But my life is hidden in Christ, therefore you can't touch my life. Think about what this does in our life. Paul would say it like this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And Paul is in prison at this moment, and he doesn't know whether he's going to live, in, uh, live and, and get out of prison or die there in prison. So he goes on to say, he says, um, if, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. In other words, I can keep, keep doing ministry. Yet which shall I choose? In other words, I, I don't know what to do. I would rather die kind of and be with Jesus. That's what he says. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part with and be with Christ, which is far better. To, to live as Christ, to die is gain for us. Now think about how maddening that is to the enemy. I'm going to kill you. Bring it on. I get to go be with Jesus. Well, I'm going to make you live. Great. I'm going to keep preaching him. How great is that? So, this allows us to say to the enemy, listen, you can, you can kill me, but he will raise me. You can touch my body, but you cannot touch my eternity. And therefore, I stand faithfully because you cannot touch my soul. There was a story I read this week um, about a missionary by the name of John Patton. John Patton was a man who devoted his life to going uh, to some of the most extreme places on the planet to, pre to preach the gospel, going into islands that were known for cannibalism. And his later, later on in his life, the, the latter years of his life, uh, he spent his life devoted to the Anawa uh, uh, tribe. I think I said it right. Um, Anawa tribe. And um, this tribe was known for cannibalism. He was, they were known just to, to take missionaries and, or anyone, enemies, and a uh, very evil place. Like one of the things that they would do is that when they defeated an enemy, they would just have their enemy for dinner. Like not over for dinner, but like have them for dinner. And if a, if a man died in their tribe, they would then kill the wife as a sacrifice, eat their body because they wanted the wife to go serve the husband in the afterlife. I mean, just evil, like, like just evil. And he got a burden for this area and, and was going to go devote himself um, to, to them. And, and when he did, he, in his own journal, uh, this is later on, they didn't eat him. He ends up reaching the entire island for Jesus. 85% of them gave their life to Jesus before he died. How great is that? And in, in his own words, he wrote this. He says, I claimed Aniwa for Jesus, and by the grace of God, Aniwa now worships at the feet of our risen king. How great is that? Going into that territory, but listen, the resistance of him going in was great because um, even, even his friends, and by the way, church people are going to be the ones that want to cast the greatest doubt and fear in your life when you begin to follow Jesus in obedience. 
Like when you really get, start going all in, it'll be your friends in church saying to you, I think you're going too far here. I think that's too much. I think you need to really second guess that. And uh, so it was some, some friends of his, some believing friends of him was like, you're crazy. You can't do this. And this is what been, my experience has been uh, over the last several years as we kind of press into missions. It's mainly the church people going, you can't go there. You might die. You can't go. In fact, somebody told me a story yesterday. Uh, I baptized a guy about 15 years ago. And I was visiting with him yesterday, and he told me, he said, um, he said, I never told you this, but you know the reason you baptized me the Sunday you baptized me? Because we were scheduled to baptize him in a few weeks. And I said, why? He goes, I moved it up. He did a spontaneous baptism that morning because I was leaving the next day to go to Africa. And he said, I didn't think you were going to come back. And so <laughs> he said, literally, he told me, he said, I leaned over to my wife and I said, hey, he's going to Africa tomorrow. I don't know if he's going to make it back. I want to get baptized today so he he's the one that baptized me. I thought, that was not very comforting like at all. Um, but that resistance came to John Patton. And there was a friend of his named, they only refer to him in the story as Mr. Dixon. Mr. Dixon was furious at his friend. This is irresponsible. And then the big phrase that he uses, John, you will be eaten. <laughs> you will be eaten by cannibals. Like you can't go. You're going to be eaten by cannibals. How's that for encouragement? You could have just simply said, I'm going to pray for you, right? You're going to be eaten by cannibals. I love, I love John Patton's answer. Listen to what he says. This is, makes me laugh as well. His response was, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, and it makes no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen redeemer how great is that listen we're all gonna die aren't you glad you came to church <laughs> and there to be eaten by worms so who cares if we're devoured by our enemy now we will rise again we will resurrect the scripture says listen those who die in christ will live even if they die our enemy is limited he can threaten us, but he cannot destroy us. We do not have to cower down and live in fear and panic of harm or rejection because here's what we know. Not only will we be vindicated when Jesus stands and, and reveals all that has been hidden to the world, but listen, we will be resurrected into brand new bodies to live eternally, never to die again, while our enemy will be cast into the lake of fire forever to be tormented. I will not live in fear of men who can harm my body, but I will live in all of the one, listen, who has redeemed my soul. That is what we are called to be as followers of Jesus Christ, which leads me to number three. So we have the vindication of Jesus, the limitation of the enemy, and finally we see the affection of the Father. This is the third reason we don't have to be afraid, the affection of the Father. Look what he says in verse 29. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. Jesus is, is using a, a metaphor here with a sparrow because the sparrow was considered in their day and time valueless. Like you could buy two sparrows for a penny. 
It was the food that the poor people would eat. It was insignificant. It was something that you wouldn't even think twice about. Like, who even gives thought to a sparrow? And Jesus is saying to, to, to us here, he's saying, listen, God is so sovereign and he is so divinely in, in care and control of the world that even the sparrow, even this valueless bird, this creature that has no significance to you and me, even the sparrow doesn't go to the ground without the Father being in control of that. How great is that? What Jesus is saying to you and me is that there's nothing we can go through in this life that God is not intimately acquainted with, that He knows that He is in control, that He is guiding our steps. Even as we walk through difficulties and circumstances where following Him cost us, that He is in control, that if He knows the details of the life of a sparrow, certainly He knows us. And then He goes on to say in verse 30, He says, but even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Now, I don't want to scientifically geek out on you here, but... The human head, according to, to, to people who know stupid stuff like this, like you have around 100 to 150,000 hair follicles. Some of you, not so much. And in the, in the average, a human will lose about 50 to 100 a day. And again, some of you more than others. I was laughing about this because when I saw that 50 to 100 a day, I live with three women. We could literally make blankets to clothe the world in a week at my house. And here's what Jesus says, that God is so intimately acquainted with your life. He, he has so much love and affection for you that even the hairs on your head are numbered. Even the smallest detail about your life that you don't even know about yourself, he knows exactly how many hairs are on your head. The point Jesus is making is, is that there's nothing in your life that God is not concerned about, that he is not in control over. That we don't have to be afraid because of the one who loves us, who is in control and sovereign, knows us. Look what he says in verse 31. Fear not, therefore. In other words, in light of this, in light of the fact that, that he is in control over every detail, in light of the fact that he knows you, fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. And here is the point. He loves you. He, he cares for you. He is, you are valuable to him. I love the fact that when Jesus talks about this, he says, your father he doesn't say the father or my father. He's speaking to us and he's saying, no, your father, the God of the, the, the universe, the creator of everything, the one who has caused the universe to be in existence, that's your daddy. That's your father. And he, he's the one that's in control of even the sparrows that fall. And you're more valuable than sparrows. Even the hairs of your head are numbered. Your father knows you and he loves you. And there's nothing you're going to go through in this life that's outside of his control or outside of his concern. Therefore, don't be afraid. I know, I know fear is real, but don't have to be afraid because your father knows and he is with you. When my oldest daughter, McKenna, was young, she kept getting these infections. And at two years old, uh, we went into the emergency room and, and uh, it was just a little small procedure that they were going to do to her while she was there. And um, uh, but it was, she was sick and not feeling good, and then all these doctors and nurses are in there, and she's, you know, now they're trying to do this procedure. And I'll never forget, this was the, my first child, so it was my first time to feel that parent, you know, that feeling that parent gets when you're, when you're just hurting for your kids. And I'll never forget just standing there, and she's literally just, she's afraid 
because of the doctor. She's, she's hurting because of what they're doing. And then she's not feeling good. And she's just literally looking at me and her mother, just crying, just, just out of control. Daddy, daddy, mama, daddy, mama. And all we could do was sit and hold her. And as a father, there was nothing more than I wanted in that moment than to run every doctor and nurse out of there and just say, baby, I'm not going to let this happen. But I knew that it was better for her. And there was something that was going to happen through this that she desperately needed. Therefore, I just, with my wife, held her and just let her know we were near. And we, we cried. We were crying with her. And let them do this knowing the outcome was going to be for her good. And man, I'm telling you, as a father, it, it ripped my heart out. But there was something about her just crying out and us holding her that, that she still hurt, she still cried, she was still afraid, but she knew we were near. And I'm a sinful, evil father with a broken heart. And that's the way I feel about my kids. There are some of you that you are going or you have gone or you will go through times where following Jesus will have a cost involved and there are going to be moments where he will lead you into suffering, into persecution, into difficulties. And in those moments, listen, you, you need to cry out when the fear is real. You need to cry out because you have a father who loves you and he is crazy about you. And listen, it doesn't mean he is going to take you out of the circumstances. At times, here's what he's going to do. He's just going to hold you and weep with you and, 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 and say to you, listen, I know you don't understand, but this has to happen. There's something bigger that's going on. And the end result of this, you may not know in this lifetime, but in eternity, you're going to look back and you're going to recognize that, that this was an act of love that I allowed you to be hurt and allowed you to go through moments of fear and allowed you to go through this distress because the outcome was for your benefit and for my glory. We have a heavenly father that doesn't abandon us in those moments. He's there for us. So what do we do? How do we, how do we respond to this? I want you to see the conclusion. So we have this great conclusion. Verse 32, it starts out with so, so, why is that important? Because Jesus is saying, hey, in light of this, in light of the vindication of Jesus, in light of the limitation of your enemy, in light of the affection of the Father, so in light of this, here's what you do. Here is the conclusion. He says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. What Jesus is simply doing here, he's saying, this is what it means to live a life that overcomes fear and walks in courage. So when you're faced with moments of fear, when, when, when following me costs you something, when you don't feel like you have it, but you trust me and you know the vindication, you know the limitation, you know the affection, and you choose to be obedient, what does courage look like? It simply looks like you being bold enough to confess him before men even when it costs you. I'm going to confess him before men. What does it mean to confess him before men? Jesus is not using this word here in reference to confessing him as in like, um, I just believe. Um, or theologically, well, this is who I think Jesus is. This is not that kind of confession. This confession is a point of identification. It's a confession to a hostile world, a world that is opposed to Jesus, to say, I belong to Jesus. 
that I am his and he is mine, that, that I am a follower of Jesus. I don't just believe things about Jesus, but I belong to him and my loyalty is to him and, 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 and there's nothing that, that, I'm, that he's going to call me to that I'm not going to be obedient to him, to him in. I belong to him in every way. I am completely his. It's, it's the point of identification. My life is lost in him. And Jesus, he tells us, he says, listen, it's, if we're not willing to do this, if we're not willing to stand in front of the world with boldness, even when it costs us and say, do to me what you want, but I belong to my king. Jesus says, then I will not be willing to acknowledge you or confess that you belong to me before my Father in heaven. So, if you're not willing to confess me before men on earth, I'm not willing to confess you before my Father in heaven. Now listen, Jesus is not saying that we lose our eternity, but rather in our lack of confessing it before men, it's evidencing that we never truly had it. This is not about losing, but rather revealing. That we should boldly proclaim Him without fear, that the, that the anthem of a follower of Jesus is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. That this is our declaration to the world. I'm not ashamed of Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God. It's what brings salvation. It's what I've rested in. Therefore, do to me what you will. I will confess him. Now, don't forget this. Don't, don't miss the positive application. A lot of times when we read this verse in Matthew 10, we always go, oh, man, if I deny him before men, he'll deny me before my father. And we, we miss the first statement, which I think is the most powerful. If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father in heaven. How amazing is that? Think about that. Let that sink into your heart. So as I live this life, I can, I can say to the world, you can reject me, you can hate me, you can mistreat me, you can misrepresent me, you can harm me, you can put me to death, but I belong to Jesus. I will confess to the world, I belong to him, he belongs to me, uh, he, my life is hidden with him, I belong to Jesus. And I do that because I know there's coming a day when I will stand before the creator of the universe, my heavenly father, and King Jesus will say to the father, listen, he belongs to me. I will declare I belong to him before men because I know there's a day coming where he will declare to the Father that I belong to him. So I will not flinch. I will stand in faith. And I will proclaim I belong to Jesus. Listen to me. Some of you in this room this morning You've never trusted Jesus. You've never confessed Jesus as Lord, embracing his salvation. You've never trust, you've trusted in religion, or maybe you've trusted in the coattail of your mom and dad's faith, or whatever it might be, but you've never come to the place in your life where you have acknowledged, God, I am a sinner, and I am separated from you, and I need Jesus to be the king of my life, and I want to confess him as Lord and believe that his death was for me and that his resurrection can give me life. And I want to stop living for me, and I want to surrender fully to him.
For some of you, you've never, you've never confessed that. For some of you, the reason you've never confessed that is because you've played the religion game so long. You're fearful of what others will think of you. If they discover that you've never truly been his. And so because of the fear of man, you refuse to confess Jesus as Lord. And I want to love you enough to give you the warning that Jesus gives here. You're forfeiting the opportunity for Jesus to confess before the Father that you belong to Him in eternity. And you will stand then in judgment before the One who has the power to kill both the body and the soul in hell. And I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm, I'm saying this is what Jesus said. And so for some of you, maybe you've not confessed him as Lord for salvation because you're, you're, you don't want to give up the life that you've created for yourself. And you know that to follow Jesus, especially like we've talked about the last few weeks, is going to be costly. And so because you love your life, you're not going to confess him as Lord and truly surrender to him. I want you to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit of God this morning. And if he's calling you to salvation, and I believe that for many of you he is, that you would say, I... I can't leave today without confessing that Jesus is my King and Lord and trusting Him with my life. In a few moments, you can leave your seat and come to this altar with one of our staff members and you can say, I, I want Jesus to save me. You say, I don't, wanna, I don't want people to, I don't want, listen, this is about a confession that Jesus is Lord. There's no one that matters in this room other than King Jesus. Are you going to be willing to, to, to say to Him today, I'm done playing the game. I want to confess you. And I want you to be my Lord. Others of you in this room, you know Christ. You've given your life to Jesus. Maybe years ago, maybe weeks ago, maybe days ago, maybe in the series, just in your seat somewhere along the way, maybe in your time alone, you've re it's been revealed to you that you need Christ and you've given him your life, but you've never gone public with baptism. You've never told the world through baptism after you became a believer that you're a believer. Jesus calls us to confess Him publicly that we belong to Him. And the first way a believer does that is through baptism, is to say to the world, I belong to Jesus. Like, I'm, I'm going to identify with Him because He has saved me. And then I would say to you, listen, if you're a person that says, I don't want to be baptized, I don't want to, tell, I don't want to get in the, the waters because, man, I just am kind of insecure of going public with my faith. I don't want to, listen, here's what I would say to you. I don't believe that baptism saves you, but I do believe baptism is something saved people will do. And your unwillingness to be baptized, to publicly confess Him before men the way that Jesus, your King, has commanded you to might be the evidence that you don't have Him as King. But for those of you who do, would you be willing to confess him the way that he calls you to through baptism? 
Maybe you want to grab the card and the seat back in front of you and just let us know on that card, place in the offering basket. I want to call. I want somebody to talk to me about baptism. Would love to be able to follow up with you on that. Be a great, courageous thing you could do to declare to the world you belong to Him. Here's the last thing. For some of you in this room, you, your, your area of confession needs to start with your one. The people in your life that God has placed so that you could share the gospel. For some of you, because of fear, you have not engaged that conversation. And you keep saying, I'm going to pray for the right time and look for the right time and hope for the right time. But listen, the right time is now. For some of you, you're hiding behind the right time to mask the fear. And again, the fear is okay. But are you going to be willing to be obedient in the midst of fear? And to say, I'm going to engage in a conversation. It might cost me a friendship, but it also might win me a brother or sister. Because I love Jesus and I'm not ashamed of him, I'm going to confess him by sharing him with those around me. So this invitation is easy. If you need to be saved, confess him. If you need to be baptized, confess him. If you need to go and share your faith with others, confess him. In light of the vindication, in light of the limitation, in light of the affection, confess him. Father, I love you and I praise you now. In the name of Jesus, I pray that we would worship in this place because you are a good God who has given us every good and perfect gift in your Son. And because of that, we know no matter what the enemy does, no matter what the world throws our way, we will be vindicated because the, the power has been stripped away from the enemy. The grave has no hold on us and we have a Father that is good. And God, we, we thank you that you are good and you love us. Father, for those that need to be saved, I'm praying your spirit will not allow them to stay in their seat, but rather come and confess to one of these that are up front. For those that need to be baptized, that they would let us know. And God, that we would be bold witnesses for you. God, we lay this before you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Let's sing about the goodness of God. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.